Are Christians terrible, wretched people? That's what we're going to talk about on today's episode of Faith in Focus. What this word wretched means, and, and kind of a, a shocking uh, insight that I kind of stumbled across as I was studying this past week, and I wanted to share with you what I've been thinking through uh, about this issue, this word in particular, but also what it just means in general for how we should be studying the Bible and looking at the Bible uh, in our own personal walk with the Lord. I hope you enjoy it. Something that I continually try to stress when I teach the Bible to people and try to explain how to interpret the Bible for yourself, because I really think that that's at the foundation of, of we as Christians, as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord and grow in our understanding of how to interpret the Bible and the scriptures, we have to have a baseline understanding of how to interpret the Bible for ourselves. This is why hermeneutics and understanding proper biblical hermeneutics is so important. And one thing I always try to tell people is don't get siloed on one specific translation of the Bible. Of course, we all have our favorite translations of the Bible. Sometimes maybe we'll fluctuate between a couple different ones. But when you really get siloed in and and focus in on one particular translation, you're really crippling yourself because, and, and this is something that I've learned a while back, but I always like to repeat it to people, that translation is the first step of interpretation. And and what that means is when somebody translates the Bible, they have to have a, a certain measure of interpretation going into that translation. They have, when, when they translate the word, I always like to use the word sozo into the word save, because it's just such a, an easy word for us to grasp. That word sozo in Greek can mean so many different things. Just like the word save could mean a lot of different things in English. Uh, you know, we talk about saving money and we talk about saving people's souls and saving their lives and, and all this kind of stuff. Words have different meanings. And so when people translate the Bible, they're not doing anything malicious when they maybe interpret something wrong, but every person has to choose from a, a range of meanings on a word and then to translate what they think the original author was meaning when, when he or she said what, what they wrote. So when you are only reading one translation, you're only getting one translator's team. Usually individual people will translate specific books in the Bible, but, they, but they'll have a team of people working on specific translations. You're only getting that one person's interpretation of what they think you know, Matthew or Peter or, or Paul meant when they when they wrote what they originally wrote. So if you can read from a, a wide range of different versions, you'll get a wide opinion of, of, of what the translator thinks that they were trying to say. And, and sometimes it's pretty irrelevant. I mean, nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, it's pretty irrelevant. I mean, we're just you know, picking whether I say I'm going to save money or I'm going to store money, you know, 
it really is irrelevant. It's not changing the meaning. We're just changing maybe how the way things flow. But sometimes it will clue you in like, wow, wait a second. Why did they translate this this way when this is so, so wildly different? I'll give you an example. In Galatians chapter 2, a lot of translations will translate in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who who, who died and gave himself up for So faith in, I live by faith in the Son of God. Whereas if you read the net translation and a couple other, they'll say I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. In the life I live, I live by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Well, if you were to read that, that's very different. It has very different meanings. And you can you can study and read their notes, and they'll try to explain why they translated things certain ways. But if you read different translations, you'll come across different words like that. Now, the, the point of what I'm trying to, to get at in this episode is, uh, uh, so I've been reading in the book of Romans, and just as a side note, what I like to do, uh, I did this with the book of Hebrews, I'm doing it with the book of Romans currently. If you just take the, the book, and I mean, it takes like 10 minutes, you just copy and paste it over into like a Word document, strip away all of the chapter divisions, because they weren't originally there when Paul wrote the letter, strip away all the verse references, because they weren't there, all the headings, everything, and just put it, I put it into like justified block texting, and that's just all it is, it's the entire book, and then sit down and try to read the book in its entirety without stopping from beginning to end every day or at least multiple times and what it does is it just allows you to rather than breaking the flow of thought that Paul had or whatever book you choose to to do it with it allows you just to read it in its entirety and hopefully pick up on different things that that you might not get if you read a chapter or read a couple of verses in a devotional and then stop and then come back to it and then stop and then come back to it. Um, so I find that very helpful just as a, as a practical study method. But I'm doing that with the book of Romans. And when you get into Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, Paul is outlining how to grow as a Christian. The ins and outs and the mechanics of it. The way I try to explain it to people is, you know, you, you might not know when you get into your car and drive your car away, you know, you get in, you push the button now, but you know, you turn the key, start it, put it in gear, hit the gas pedal, drive to the store. And if someone were to ask, well, how does that work? Well, what do you mean? Like, how does it work? What, what's going on under the hood? I don't know. Well, you know, I know there's kind of some pistons that go up and down and take gasoline and, and burn it and then use the, the energy from that to frankly i don't really know that's about the extent of my meandering through how how an engine works but i don't really need to know how it works it works um and it gets me from point a to point b well that can be true in the christian life you can know some basics you know you know, I got to trust in God and walk with God. And, you know, I probably should read my Bible and pray. And I don't really necessarily know what the Holy Spirit's role in is, is all this. And so some of the mechanics, how it works, how salvation works and how our growth works and sanctification, you might not necessarily need to know exactly how that works to grow as a Christian. I think God can work with us where we are. And yet, when I, I've got a vehicle that's broke down right now, and I have no idea what's wrong with it, don't know how to fix it, no idea how to diagnose it. 
it's because I don't know how those internal things work. So I think a lot of times in our Christian growth, if we don't understand how the growth process works, sometimes things will go wrong in our lives and they'll be like, now we've thrown a piston or something like that in our engine. And we don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to diagnose what we did wrong, what what has happened and what is supposed to be happening. So in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, Paul does a deep dive into all of that stuff and explaining who you are in Christ and and what's true of you now that you're a believer. So I'm, I'm reading it and, you know, learning new stuff, hopefully. And, you know, in and around chapter 6, Paul starts talking about what has happened to us as we become a Christian. We, we, our old man was crucified with Christ. We've been buried with Christ. We've been raised to new life. We're no longer slaves to sin. And then he gets into chapter 7 which is kind of a very famous passage where he's talking about his relationship with the law. And he talks about being alive apart from the law. And then the commandment came in and I died. The commandment was supposed to result in life, but then it brought in death. So he's struggling with this life and death principle. And and near the end of chapter seven, he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am fleshly sold into bondage to sin I do not understand what I am doing. Okay, so now this is the this is the 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 part that really kind of you know made something go click in my brain. Paul says, I don't understand what I'm doing. For I'm not practicing what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. However, if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law that the law is good. But now no longer I am the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that good does not dwell in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. (coughs) Excuse me. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. So what am I trying to stress here? Paul is just saying over and over and over again that he's afflicted and he's confused. Why? Because he does not want to do evil. He does not want to do good. He wants to obey God. He wants to live for God. And yet he's finding that he's not. And so a lot of the times as Christians, we think, well, you're just a terrible, evil, wicked person. You as a Christian, you're just utterly depraved. You're sinful. This worm theology, you know, I picked up a lot of this in my Bible school years, which is you're just a, just a worm, depraved, degenerate, vile person. But when you read this, that's not Paul's experience. Paul's certainly confused. But what he's saying over and over again is, I don't want to do evil. I want to do good. And so he says, but if I do the very thing I do not want, it's no longer I the one doing it, sin that dwells in me. I joyfully agree with the law of God in my inner person. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of the sin, the law which resides in my body parts. Wretched man that I am who will set me free 
So when I'm reading this, I'm just thinking that doesn't seem to fit. I'm reading it and I'm just totally agreeing. And one of the reasons why it doesn't fit and why I think that that, that so-called worm theology is wrong and why it's wrong to think of us as Christians. Now, I don't deny, and I think it would be wrong for us to deny that Christians do still sin. That's what Paul's wrestling with. He's saying, I don't want to do this. Who I am at the core does not want to do this. And yet I find myself still doing it. And then he's, he kind of almost goes schizophrenic. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I, I don't think that's what's happening, but it's what it seems like what he's saying. He says, well, so what I find is that that evil that's doing it is, it's not me, but it's this evil sin principle that lives within me. So he's kind of able to detach himself from the doing of evil. And so this worm theology teaches that you are just wicked to the core. You're just utterly depraved. You're sinful through and through. And the problem I have with that is, if that's the case, where's the conflict? If I'm just utterly sinful and depraved, and yes, we might even use the word wretched, you're just a terrible wretch. You're wretched and depraved and deplorable. Then then where's the conflict? If I'm sinning and disobeying God, that's in perfect con- that's that's not in conflict with who I am. It's in perfectly in keeping with who I am. So, but if truly I don't want to sin, no matter what our brain might tell me, oh, I really enjoy this. As a believer, I do not want this thing. I want righteousness and holiness and sanctification. And yet I find myself doing not those things. Why? Because I'm I'm not those things at the core. Why at the end, and this is what kind of, I stopped in my tracks, like, you know, I've said, try to read it start to finish, but I didn't do that. I got to the wretched man that I am. And I just thought, that doesn't seem to fit. You know, it, it fits if you think that you're just a wretched, terrible person, but it doesn't fit with what Paul's saying. I mean, he just says over and over, I don't want to do this. I'm not a wretched person. I might be doing wretched things, but I am not a wretched person. I want to do good. So I had to stop and I just had to think, okay, what, what's going on here? Because clearly we're misunderstanding something. And so I asked my friends online, without looking at a dictionary, what do you think the word wretched means? And I, and I got varied responses. Some to, Just to let me know that this actually is not a very well understood word. Some people do understand it to be miserable, hopeless, um, without hope, pathetic, to be pitied, uh, unhappy. But then other responses are like, terrible. One person said, Kim Jong-un or Adolf Hitler. I know that God loves everyone, but those are two pretty bad people I can, that I can think of. Um, disgusting, terrible, evil, vile, unnecessarily mean and vengeful without just cause. So then if you look at the definition, this is Miriam Webster's definition for the word wretch, like you're just a wretch. Wretched would be the adjectival version of uh, the word wretch is a miserable person. Okay. Or a base, despicable or vile person. Okay. So all that to say, what is the word? I mean, we, we can talk about what the word means in English. And that's kind of what I was trying to do by asking my friends, what do you understand this word to mean? What does the common person understand this word to mean? And even if you look up wretch or wretched 
in the English dictionary, well, what does it say? That all, all that does is tell us what we believe that it means now, because words change and evolve and develop new meanings as, as they, as they change and evolve and culture uses them differently. Um, an example of this is, I remember hearing, you know, when we, in the Bible where it says like, we speed the coming or we hasten the coming of the Lord. And I just thought, well, wait a second, we do things that can speed up the coming of the Lord. And I had a friend who explained to me, no, that, that's just like an old English word. Like to hasten something means like you're anticipating it and you're, and you're, and you're desiring it to come. And, and so I was like, okay, well, that's obviously something that has changed meanings. So it doesn't help to know what wretched meant 600 years ago. It's what do we mean when we read it today? What does the average person mean when they read it today? This is why different translations, you know, you can read the King James Version from 1611. Guys, that was like 400 years ago. Words have changed meaning so much since then. So modern translations will take maybe a word like wretched, right? It's like, yeah, okay, that's not really what that word means. Let's let's soften a little bit and change it to what it actually means. Well, what I found was interesting. The New International Version of Romans 7.24. What a wretched man that I am. The ESV. Wretched man that I am. King James Bible. Oh, wretched man that I am. New American Standard Bible. Wretched man that I am. Amplified Bible. Wretched and miserable man that I am. Christian Standard Bible. What a wretched man I am. Holman Christian Standard Bible. What a wretched man that I am. Uh, English Revised Version. Oh, wretched man that I am. International Standard Version. What a wretched man that I am. Net Bible, wretched man, every single one of them, wretched, wretched, wretched. I'm like, what, what does this mean? Why are they translating it this way? It doesn't seem to fit with what Paul's saying. Well then, and I'll, I'll make a plug for this website and, and you know, it, you got to be careful. You can't just, I mean, I always have to be humble um, when I, cause I don't know beyond like a kindergartner's working um, knowledge of, of Greek. But on Blue Letter Bible, you can go into verses and click on them and, and pull up the interlinear where it's got the Greek and the English. And you can click on every single Greek word and it will break it down for you. And it will tell you what the word means. Well, that's very helpful because we want to know what Paul meant when he said this word that gets translated wretched. What did he mean? Not what it gets translated into in English because people can make mistakes. Not what we think it means now. What did it actually mean? Well, this word, it's only used two times in the uh, New Testament. In Revelation, when Jesus is speaking to one of the churches, he says, You say I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, but you don't know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And then, of course, in our passage, O wretched man that I am. Here's what the word means. I'll read you. The entire entry. Outline of biblical usage. This is how it's used in the Bible. Enduring toils and troubles. Or afflicted. Um, the Strong's definition. Enduring trials. Or miserable. Uh, under the Thayer's lexicon. So these are different just Greek dictionaries. To bear or to undergo something. To be afflicted. And I just thought, when I read that, I just thought, why are we translating this word wretched into wretched? When 
at least some people, I mean, I do, when I hear wretched, I think wretch, like a wretch, a vile person. Just evil, disgusting, vile person. That's what I think of when I think of wretch. So somebody who's wretched is somebody who's a wretch, who's behaving like a wretch, acting like one. And I just thought, that isn't what Paul is saying there. He's not saying, I'm just a terrible, disgusting, vile, base, wicked, wretched sinner. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying in the previous verses. What he is saying is, I'm conflicted. I'm in a miserable state. Why? Because I'm conflicted over this. I don't do the things that I want to do. I want to do good, but I don't do them. So I'm afflicted. I'm enduring trials. I'm suffering. And I just thought, why are we translating this word this way? Because it does, it communicates something that it, that it shouldn't be communicating, I think, a lot of the times when we see that word wretched. So all that to say, when you read different Bible versions, or when you read the Bible, read different versions. Because you'll be able to pick up on stuff like that. That just makes you think, hmm, I don't know why they translated this that way. And sometimes your Bible might have study notes that, that tell you why. Sometimes you might have to do a little bit of research. But it, but it helps you to understand, if you think the word wretched just means, well, I'm just a sinful, depraved, degenerate, good for nothing. Well, then that's what you're going to come away with. And, and we oftentimes will just quote that as Christians. Oh, we're just wretched people. And what we mean is that worm theology. That's what we're trying to get across. When that is not what we should be trying to communicate. We should be trying to communicate that we are wretched in the sense that the the New Testament is using that word, which again, I don't think is maybe a good English translation anymore. Maybe we've moved past what it originally meant. We are wretched in the sense of conflicted and enduring toils and, and struggles. That is certainly true. And if you're a Christian and a walking Christian, you know exactly, that that's why you can relate so much to Romans chapter 7 and at the end conclude, yeah, you're right, I'm in the same boat as Paul is because I want to serve God and then, God darn it, here comes this sin again and, and it just weighs me down and in Romans 6.23 it says the wages of sin is death. Sin always results in death. It's just this this death and this this bondage into sin and, and, and just, man, it's, we hate it. We hate it at the core of who we are. Why? Because we're not wretched at the core of who we are. In our spirit and in our heart, we aren't wretched. We're not utterly depraved, degenerate, sinful people. We're struggling because we're righteous and holy and, and made in the likeness of Christ. And uh, you know all of that stuff. We are in Christ. But why are we struggling like this? And we're enduring toils and, and struggling and burdened. Maybe is a good word for it. So, you know, I, I don't know if that scratched where it itched for you. I don't know if that helped you understand things a little bit better or maybe confused you even more. But, you know, are we wretched as Christians? No, we're not wretched. We are holy and righteous and good and we are one spirit with Christ. But are we wretched? Yeah, oftentimes we find that we are. We are struggling and bare bearing under this incredible weight of this conflict between what we want to do, which is serve God, and what we do, which is oftentimes serving sin. So that's the conflict. That's what makes us wretched in the biblical sense, but maybe we should stop using the word wretched 
because it's causing a lot of Christians to become wretched and enduring under a struggle and a burden that they don't need to struggle under. Let's dispense with that word wretched. It doesn't mean what we think it means, at least a lot of the times. Well, Faith and Focus is a ministry of in faith. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast don't necessarily reflect the views and opinions of in faith as a mission. If you like what you heard on this episode, why don't you become a monthly supporter of the ministry? It really helps me out $10 a month or whatever the Lord lays on your heart. So if you're interested in becoming a partner, uh, you can text the word discipleship to 41444 or head over to infaith.org backslash Dennis dash Sotherby. And if you have any questions or topics that you would like me to address on a future episode of Faith and Focus, why don't you shoot me an email? You can email me at Dennis Sotherby at infaith.org. Just put in the subject line, question for Faith and Focus or something like that. Uh, so I can see it, know that it's from you, and know that it's an issue that you'd like me to address. 